Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now let's join the service already in progress. I'm going right to um, get right into our message for the day. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 14. I get to dig into this a little bit. I think on uh, New Year's Eve, kind of release the phrase of hearing heaven. Everybody's been kind of trying to figure out what that means. Well, here's the idea uh, behind the word that God gave us for the year, hearing heaven. It says this, talking about Elijah. Then he was told, go and stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God was not to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, so Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? I get to talk to you today about a subject I'm really excited about. On Vision Sunday, and the subject is hearing heaven. Father, thank you for your presence, for your goodness. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to interact with every one of our hearts. Just take over every part of our lives so that all that remains is you, Lord. We want to have a will that matches the will of heaven so that our prayers can be heard. Uh, we want in this series on God Talk, uh, this, this part of it in the middle of the series about hearing heaven, we want this intimate moment uh, in, in worship and in the reading of your word to be something that shapes our heart in the future uh, as we approach you we do it with confidence knowing that we will be heard uh, and we can hear back from you and I pray that every person will be anointed to receive this and I'd be anointed to share it by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen. amen anybody here have big dreams raise your hand if you got big dreams I'm not talking about getting like a free chicken biscuit at Chick-fil-a I'm talking about like big big so raise your hand if you got big dreams come on big dreams that's good we got big dreams Big dreams are wonderful. Raise your hand if you've ever had a big dream that actually came true. Raise your hand if you ever had a big dream and that actually came true. That's kind of a big event. Uh, if you've never read my book, Jesus First, Jesus Always, I would definitely ask you to do it. Or if you want to read it in Spanish, Jesus Primero, Jesus Siempre, uh, it's pretty good too. Uh, but in the book, we talk about, I talk about the idea of a big event mentality. That some of us live our lives going from big event to big event, and we really miss out on the life that we live in the middle, which actually constitutes most of our lives. Most of our waking moments are not big events. They're the moments in the middle. And so if you've ever lived from big event to big event, you will find that sometimes you're the most vulnerable in life after your big event has happened. Can I get an amen from someone here today? You're the most vulnerable in life the moment after you're, you know, this even applies to spiritual situations. Moments where you've been in a church service and God moved, you get vulnerable. And, and, and you get weak sometimes in your flesh. And, and you, you want to just make a terrible choice right after God has done something great. It's kind of like somebody who's been on a diet and you reach your goal weight and you eat an entire red velvet cake that day. It's like you get the weakest after you've accomplished that thing that you've been working so hard for, you just kind of lose all self-control. 
And I think that is sort of an, an epidemic in our world. And if we're not careful, we'll start to believe that God only lives in the big moments. And the time that we spend in between big events and big moments of our life will be wasted because we're waiting for God to move, but we fail to realize that he wants to speak to us in the everyday situations of our life. That's how we get to the story of our text scripture of Elijah. And Elijah is a man of God. He is, he is an incredible person. He's got a lot of confidence. He's got a lot of boldness. Israel has a leader named Ahab, a king, who is very evil. The Bible says he was more evil than his predecessors. Uh, he had a real trashy wife who was real sensual and got everyone to worship false gods and took Israel away from, from their one true living God to worship in the prophets of Baal. So not a nice lady. And, and I mean, so Elijah called these people out. He called Ahab out. He's like, yo, dude, you're a fake, you're a phony. I don't appreciate the way you're acting. As a matter of fact, there's going to be a drought in all of Israel until you, until you get yourself right. And Ahab's like, all right, well, I mean, hey, you won't come at me? I'm the king. Do your thing, but I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. And, and Elijah's like, okay, whatever, we'll see. So like three years goes by, and it does not rain in Israel. And finally, Elijah comes to Ahab after the three years, and, and they confront each other one more time. And Ahab's like, oh, look, you're the one that's been causing trouble. He's like, no, you are the one that's causing trouble. He's like, I tell you what, I'm sick of this. Why don't you bring all your fake prophets Bring all these people that act like Baal is like the one God. And we're going to have something that I would like to call the spiritual Super Bowl. Meet us all at Mount Carmel and invite everybody in Israel to watch. And we're going to have a fire calling down contest. And so I'm going to let your prophets do whatever they want to do to call down fire. But make sure you invite everyone so everyone has a front row view to whose God is real. Because by tomorrow we're going to know. So this actually happens. This is real stuff. I'm talking about like a real world conversation someone had in Israel back in that day. It was like someone was like, hey, yo, Tim, what you doing on Thursday? He's like, I thought on Thursday we would just like grill out or something. I got the day off. And he's like, you got to be kidding. You're going to grill out. You ain't heard about the spiritual Super Bowl. He's like, what you talking about spiritual Super Bowl? He's like, Elijah done confronted Ahab, man. They're going to call down fire in Mount Carmel. He's like, well, I guess we can grill out on Friday then. Let's go. That's like a real conversation that happened in Israel. It's like all these people show up. Elijah's there, and he's like calling out the rules. you got 400 fake prophets of Baal. You've got Ahab. Everyone's watching. All of Israel's there. So Elijah lays the ground rules. He's like, okay. He's like, take a bull, all you fakes. Take a bull. Uh, create an altar. Put your bull, cut it up, put it on the altar, sacrifice it to your fake God, call on his name, and call down fire. And if he burns up the bull, you know, and fire comes from heaven, then yay, Baal is awesome. But he's not, so this is going to be fun to watch. So, like, these guys uh, start doing their, you know, they, you know, I don't know what they did. I mean, I have no idea. It's like, uh, that's not biblical what I just did, but if I were to guess, if I were to guess what it looked like it's probably some kind of, you know, I don't know. It's like a dance or some chant. I don't even, that's not even in the Bible. I mean, they just did some weird thing. They're calling down on Baal, however people call on Baal. And obviously no fire comes because you can't conjure nothing from nothing. Can I get an amen from somebody? 
So these guys start getting frustrated, and I love Elijah. He's like, he's like super, he sounds like a super fun guy to hang around because he's like a literal troll. He's like a spiritual troll. He starts trolling these guys while they're trying to call down fire. He's like, he's like, oh, guys, he's like, maybe you could raise your voice a little bit. He's like, you said Baal is a god, but, but maybe he's like on vacation right now. He actually said this. He's like, he's like, maybe he's like away and he just can't hear you. He's like, if you elevated your voice, he'd probably hear you a lot better. He's trolling these guys. And so these guys are so mad, they start cutting themselves. They're like, ah! I don't know how you want to, like, you know, you're, you're mad at someone, so you cut yourself. Typically, you cut the person. But like, he's cutting, like, ah! They're bleeding, and it's like a mess, and, and, and they, obviously they can't. He's like, all right, fakes, get out of the way. He's like, God is about to move. He's like, he's like here's what's about to happen. He's like, he's like, I tell you what, take the bull, my bull, cut it up, put it on the altar. I'm going to dig a trench around there. I want you to take 12 stones, put it around the altar. I want you to then get four buckets of water, and I want you to douse everything. Douse the sacrifice. Douse the altar. Pour, pour it in that trench so it's like a little moat around this altar. Do it three times so everyone here is fully convinced that this is not a trick. And then Elijah gets before God, and, and he just prays this pretty simple prayer. He's like, Lord of heaven, he's like, listen to my voice right now in front of all these people. These people have gone astray. I just pray right now that you allow fire to fall down. Fire comes down from heaven. I'm talking like, it's like he's Gandalf or something. Like he, he's just like calling it down. It's like it, it comes like, a, like, like literally like, like, like from Star Wars. Like it comes down and it just like consumes everything. It burns up all the water. It burns up the sacrifice. And everyone's like, whoa. Like it's crazy. It says, and when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Elijah said to them, take these fake prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. They took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook. Kishan and killed them. He slew them there. There is a massacre. So this is a pretty huge moment for Elijah's life. He calls out Ahab. He predicts the spiritual Super Bowl. He's the Tom Brady of the situation in this story. He wins in front of all these people. His confidence is extremely high. You're feeling good. But you know what? I'm not preaching today about this because this is a big event. Do you know what I'm actually going to preach about? I am about to preach about what it happens the day after the big event. Because there's something to be found in this story. Because I can't think of very, more, very many things in this world that are like this, where a human being had such a high level of spiritual success that was so easily perceived from the natural you could have been there and not even been a spiritual person and watched Elijah go, God, let fire fall and go, whoa. You're like, wow, that's some real stuff right there. You don't have to be a believer or anything to notice what happened. So this is like an extremely confident, confidence-building event that took place. So let's pick up the day after the big event. First Kings 19. It says, Ahab, the evil king, told Jezebel, trashy wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, so let the, so Jezebel, this is, the, this is the wife of Ahab, sends a message to Elijah. Elijah's got confidence enough to call down fire against all these guys. Ahab, who is so tough, he kills all these dudes. But now one comment from, from, from this lady freaks him out. The next day, she sends a message saying, ooh, 
so let the gods do to me and more. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them tomorrow by this time, she's saying within 24 hours, I swear to you, you will be dead. She says this to Elijah. So for whatever reason, Elijah has been filled with all this confidence. He has seen God do these extraordinary things. And it says, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So he leaves his buddy, his partner, his friend who helps him out, his servant. He leaves him in one place and continues on by himself, not in faith, not to go pray, not to separate himself and seek God, but he's freaked out, he's scared, he's depressed. And listen, he sits down under a juniper tree and he requested to God that he might die. He said, this is enough, O Lord. Take my life away, for I am no better than my father's. Wow. Pretty unbelievable that we could go from one of the highest highs, one of the biggest events imaginable. Hey, and if it can happen to Elijah, look at somebody next to you and say, it could happen to you. It could happen to you. If you're sitting there going, oh, not me. Well, why? We're talking about one of the greatest men of God that ever lived. Sees one of the greatest moves that's ever happened. And 24 hours later, he wants to kill himself? 24 hours later, he's suicidal? He's sitting there under this tree having mental health issues. He has seen a drought that lasted three years that he prophesied. Read a couple of chapters before. He's, he's in the house of a widow who is helping him. And her son dies. And she goes, yo, man, why would you come into my world? And, and you're a man of God. You come ask for my help, and now you've exposed my sins to God. And now my son is dead. It's on you. You heal that boy. He's like, whoa. And like a lot of pressure. So like he goes and prays for this kid. He doesn't raise. He, he prays for him again. He doesn't raise. He stretches his body out on the bed, puts his hands on the boy's hands. Like is like putting his heart and soul like, God, please heal us. And this kid is actually raised from the dead. He's gone from big event to big event to big event. And here he is after the miracle. Here he is after the big moment. Have you ever thought for a second what is my life going to look like if the big event actually comes true? See, we've been so desperately pursuing that building or that, you know, that promotion or that amount of money that we think we know what our life is going to. Have you ever stopped for a second to ask yourself, how would it affect my life if this actually came true? I got news for you. If you're here today and you're going, Father, in the name of Jesus, let me win that lottery. <laughs> oh, Lord. And whoo. 150 million, Lord. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. I'm going to give, Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost talking about this 150. Lord, I'm going to give, if, if, I, if you let me win, I'll give 75 million to the church. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do it for the kingdom, Lord. <laughs> what makes you think that if you got $500 million, that you're going to give $250 million of it to God if you can't give $50 when you got $500 in your pocket? I'm telling you, the person that you are now will only become more magnified by success. Elijah didn't become Elijah by just going, hey, a drought's coming, and boom, a drought's coming. He didn't become Elijah 
by laying hands on somebody and the, and the boy raises. He didn't become Elijah by just simply walking out and calling. No, he became Elijah in the quiet place. He became Elijah when nobody was around. Nobody was watching. Nobody was listening. And he stretched his hands out to heaven and said, God, I want to know you. I want to learn how to hear your voice. I want you to speak to me. I want you to use me. I may not be good at this right now, but teach me how to hear you. Teach me how to distinguish what your voice feels like, what your voice sounds like. Greatness is never made on the stage. It might demonstrate itself at some point on the stage, but it's forged in solitude. My son, his birthday is tomorrow. He turns 14. And um, Amy and I got him a studio uh, for his birthday because when I was 15, that's what my dad bought for me, a studio. And I learned how to play music and to produce music. By the end of my 15th year, I was producing music uh, for bands in Orlando, for top 40 bands. I was selling, back then there were cartridges, so some of the bands that would play in the clubs, I would program all of their music. I became a professional musician at 15, selling these cartridges, and I learned how to use all my equipment. That led me to become a recording artist. I got my first record deal when I was 18 years old. I was a music producer for all these years. I love music, but I'm going to tell you something. How did I become an accomplished musician and producer? Not by making great songs. You don't become great at anything by making great stuff. You know how you become great? By making terrible stuff. <laughs> you make a song that's so bad that when you call your dad in the room to listen to it, he goes. <laughs> I love you, son. <laughs> that's how you become great. Anybody here today? If you're here today and you're great at something, you're not great at it because you started out great at it. You're great at, you're great at it because you started out and you were willing to be bad. You were willing to sound terrible. You were willing to play poorly. You were willing to act poorly. You were willing to be a teacher that didn't have all the answers, but you just wanted to help somebody. And it's our relationship with God is no different. When we start out on that road, there's some story of Elijah that we don't know as a young man that felt the presence of God and said, man, I, I want that. I got to know that. There's some story of solitude about his life that made him who he was. But what happened is when we start out in those moments and we're great, then we start living for all these big events and we, we lose the value of what our everyday life looks like and what it means to hear God in a quiet room. Yeah. That God speaking to us, be nice to your wife, is just as important as a drought is coming to all of Israel that's going to last for three and a half years. But what happens in our world is we begin to elevate what's important. We, 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 we for, you know, take for granted those moments where God speaks to us something about our personal character development that may seem small and insignificant, but it's equally important to obey the voice of God to something that we deem is insignificant as it is to obey him for something that we think is huge. And... I think many times in our life, we, we lose sight of the fact that it's our simple obedience to God. And after big events, we get weak. Maybe you can relate. Maybe, maybe there's been something in your life that you needed God to move. I don't know if it's a physical miracle 
or a miracle in your marriage, whatever. And you go, Father, I got this thing that I need you to move on. And it's happening in four weeks. I need a good report in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm going to quit watching Game of Thrones in Jesus' name. I ain't going to watch it. It's it's the season finale. I don't care. I ain't even going to record it, Lord, in Jesus' name. I'm going to cancel Netflix right now. I'm canceling HBO Go. Who in the name of Jesus? HBO. HBO. Go. Go, HBO. Go. You're ready. I mean, you're putting it all out there. And then, then all of a sudden, you're waiting, and you're waiting, and waiting, and that big report comes, and you know what? God moves the way you asked him to move. The big event happens, and what happens? Instead of separating yourself and getting in a moment where you go, thank you, Jesus, for listening to me. Thank you. You binge watch every episode that you miss. You go out to the club. You drink an entire bottle of wine, and then you drink another one, and then you go eat the red velvet cake I was talking about earlier, and you weren't even on the diet. You do it all. Why? Because we stink at projecting what our life would look like if God actually answered our prayers. We're not very good at saying, what would I do with 10,000 more Instagram followers? How would I use that platform? We want it so bad. People want it so bad. Ooh, if I just had 10, let me break 10,000, Lord. I mean, with these weird prayers we pray. It's like, what are you going to do if you do that? What, what, what is, what, are you going to give more glory to God? What would you do with an extra $10,000 in your pocket every week? You're like, well, I'll figure something out in Jesus' name. No, it'll probably screw your life up if you're not careful. All these things that you're praying for, these promotions, these bigger platforms, they have the power to destroy you. Do you, do you not realize that? They have the power to destroy you. Because why? We see it in Elijah. After the biggest event we can imagine, he's suicidal. Do you know, according to USA Today, anxiety disorders are the number one mental health issue in the United States, costing Americans more than $42 million a year in doctor bills and workplace losses. See, there's an element. So, so we find Elijah in a spiritual crisis, but also a mental crisis. He's experiencing... Mental health issues. And I do believe that anxiety disorders are something that God can heal. And I believe that he does heal people of anxiety disorders. But I also don't want to discount the fact that there are times that we need counseling. We need mental health counselors that will speak into our life wisdom. My mom has her PhD in psychology. She is a clinical psychologist that that specializes in counseling and has many peers in our church that do this. It's really important as Christians that we get good counsel in our life, that we make sure on a spiritual level we're with people that can give us good advice spiritually, that can pray for us and lay hands on us, but also when it gets over into the mental health arena that we're able to sit down and speak with people that are able to speak to our mental health issues. God can use that as an absolute legitimate forum and a necessary forum for helping us work out things that we deal with mentally. And I think a lot of people, you know, that want to give up on life, man, if they could have just sat down with someone to help them backtrack and work out things that are going on in their life, God could have done some amazing things. Even Elijah, poor guy, he needed a mental health counselor, and he didn't have one. He didn't have one. So he requests, he's suicidal. He requests that he can die. Lord, take my life away. Maybe you're here today and you're down. Maybe you're struggling today on Vision Sunday. You know, Vision Sunday is a day about what's coming, what's in front of us. 
Maybe you're, you're, you're frustrated about the way things have not worked out in your life. Maybe you're kind of like Elijah. Well, I got good news for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says there's no temptation that you're experiencing other than that which is common to everyone. It's saying, but God is faithful and he will not let you suffer and be tempted above what you're able to handle, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So he is not putting you in a situation that you can't handle. The Holy Spirit is, look at someone next to you, say, you're gonna be okay. Look at the person on the other side, say, you'll be okay even though I ignored you four times today. You're gonna be okay. We don't know how to guard ourselves after big wins. We don't know how to guard ourselves after big wins. We need to look at Jesus' example on how he responded after his big wins. Let's look at Matthew 14. It says, when they had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Remember the feeding the 5,000 with just a tiny little bit of food? The food multiplied and fed 5,000 people. A massive miracle. It says immediately after that, he told his disciples to get into a ship and to go to the other side of, of the lake. And he says, he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Jesus had just experienced a huge win, massive personal accomplishment, a moment where many of us would be tempted to sit around and take the credit for what just happened. It could get us off course. So what does Jesus do? The disciples are like, yo, can you believe what just happened, Jesus? That was dope. He's like, y'all go away. They're like, no, nah, man, come with us. We're going to Chili's. It's on us tonight. Let's do it. He's like, leave. He gets them out of there. He tells all the multitudes that are like wanting his autograph. They're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just want you to know that, I mean, I really love that bread. It was so good. It's like the best I ever had. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm just totally embarrassed to meet you right now. <laughs> Thanks for all you're doing. He's like, go. You follow me? He's like, I don't need all this right now. I have to get with my father. There's too much at stake for me to live off the adrenaline of past victories. There's too much at stake that I could get off course if I don't remember what got me here. I got to get with my dad. I have to pray. Even in Matthew 3, when it says Jesus was baptized and went down in the water and he came up and the and heavens were opened to him, the Spirit of God descended on him in the form of a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Literally one of the most phenomenal moments in the history of the universe. You have a, you have a perfect example of the Trinity. The Father saying, this is my Son. The Son, to whom the Father is referring, Jesus, being baptized, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, embodied in this moment, this miracle, everyone sees it. What does Jesus do after that? It says, then he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He went, and why did he go to the wilderness? To pray, to separate himself. He knew, and every time the devil came at him, he responded with Scripture. Immediately after that big win in his life, he realized, I have to get by myself and I got to get back to the roots of why I got here to begin with. See, if we lose that, we'll fall into this Elijah syndrome. And 
And look, look what Elijah does. It says he decides under his own power he's going to go to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb, for those of you that don't know, is also Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the place where what? God gave Moses. What did he give him? He gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. So Elijah comes up with his plan. Well, you know, this big event that just happened and she's trying to kill me. And I don't know what to do. I want to die. I'm no good. I just let, you know, let a rock fall on my head. I just whatever. I, just, I don't even want to live no more. It's over. And, 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 and actually God sends an angel to nourish him and gives him some food and gives him some strength because he's ready to give up. He eats his food and decides to travel for 40 days on foot. By the way, coming up with your own plan can get very tiring. 40 days on foot. He decides, I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to Mount Horeb. Where is that? That's where, he's like, that's where, that's where it all started. You gave Moses the Ten Commandments there. You moved there before, and there you're going to move there again. You know what that's like? That's like you in the toughest moments of your life going, oh, where's my Shout to the Lord CD from 1993? I've got to put that on because the presence of God, every time I put that on, that's the presence of God just comes into the room with that song, something about that song. Well, you know what? Can I tell you something? God doesn't move today the same way that he moved yesterday. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but every day his mercies are made brand new. Stop looking for God to move in your life today the way he did 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, he still will move, but if you lose the faith to believe that he can do something brand new in this day, you're going to miss your moment just like Elijah did. So he comes up with his own plan to go to Mount Horeb. Takes 40 days to get there. Why? A man cut off from his future will always go back to his past. That's all you know how to do is to go backwards. You're not looking forwards, you're looking backwards. And it says, he finally got there and he went into a cave and spent the night. And the Lord asks him while he's there a question that he might be asking you today. He goes, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's like, you went on this 40-day journey? You're trying to find me? You're scared of this lady? After all that I've done in your life, what are you doing here? Now he replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. He starts telling God stuff that like God doesn't know this stuff already. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword, and I'm the only one left. It's not true. In 1 Kings 19, 18, God said there were 7,000 others that did not bow. So sometimes when you get in these pity party moments, you start being depressed over things that aren't even true, aren't even facts. You create an alternate reality. He says, and now they're trying to kill me too. Now I want you to watch, because here we are, Vision Sunday, hearing heaven. This is where it all comes together. And I'm hoping that this touches your heart today. Because this, this is the word for the year, and this is the idea that is going to get us to the place that God is going to speak to each one of us individually this year if we let him. Watch what God did here. It says, the Lord said, go out. Go ahead, Kyle. Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. He's like, I didn't need you to come here. You, you manufactured all this, but you know, I'm here. I was there too. We could have done this there, but you want to do it here? Fine, let's do it here. He says, go out on the mountain. In the, in the presence of the Lord. Stand on the mountain, for the Lord is about to pass by. Watch, watch. 
It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. So Elijah's going, woo! That's what I'm talking about. Let them rocks fall on Jezebel. Woo! That's what we need right there is a move. It came out of one move. I need another move. Hallelujah. But listen what it says. The Lord was not in the wind. See, Elijah saw the elements in the wind that was creating a big moment. And he thought to himself, that's what I'm talking about. Remember a couple years ago, I said a drought was coming and boy, did it ever happen. Now I got another move with the weather. Woo, weatherman. But the Lord was not in the wind. It says that after the wind, there was an earthquake. Everything was shaken. I told you a couple months ago, Elijah prayed for a dead boy and it came back to life. You know, maybe you're sitting there thinking, in your life, something good has happened. Like, finally, God is moving. Or man, if this could just happen, finally God will move. Oh, but the thing that you think might be God, it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. It says, and after the earthquake came a fire. And he's going, fire! Woo! Just the other day, yeah, I remember. This is exactly what I need. I knew you was going to come through for me. Oh, you weren't in the wind. You weren't in the earthquake. But fire, that's my thing. I called down the fire and you made it happen. It said, but the Lord was not in the fire. How do you hear heaven when the answers aren't hard to find? How do you hear heaven when the answers aren't hard to find? It says, after the fire came a gentle whisper. Somebody say a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, somebody say quiet voice. He muffled his face with his great cloak, went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. What does that mean he muffled his face with his great cloak? Men of God in that culture would cover up their face with their cloak when it was obvious that the presence of the Lord was in a place. He was deceived by the wind that it was God. He was deceived by the earthquake that it was God. He was deceived by the fire that it was God. All the things that he thought in his mind would represent the presence of God, the least likely of any of those things was a gentle voice, a whisper. And today maybe you're here and you're looking for God to move in an earthquake in your life. You're looking for God to move in a hurricane in your life. You're looking for God to move in a fire coming down from heaven kind of moment. And you're missing out on the fact that he's saying, I'm already moving, but I'm moving in a whisper. I'm moving in a gentle voice. I'm moving in a quiet voice. You want to hear from heaven. If you want to hear heaven, you got to learn how to hear the gentle voice. You got to learn how to hear 
the quiet voice. What's beautiful is after this moment, (laughs) a quiet voice asked, so Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? Same voice as before, but now, now Elijah realizes that God's trying to speak to him in a different kind of way than he's expressed himself in the past. Quietly, look at someone next to you. Say, listen for the quiet voice. You know, stop, stop creating these elaborate ideas. The Lord, if you want to speak to me, let Pastor Justin wear a red hat and let him meet me in the foyer and hand me a note, a personal note, telling me my destiny. You know what I mean? That's like a, that's an earthquake moment. He's saying, you don't need a red hat. You don't need a, I just realized you're wearing a red hat. Sorry, I didn't mean that. Yeah, you don't need a, you don't need a, you don't need a, a note from me, from Pastor Justin, from Pastor Gary. You don't need any of that stuff. What do you need? You need to remember what got you in all this to begin with. How'd you get in this? You were a broken person that had nothing and you came to God in faith and you said, God, take this broken heart and fix it. I can't do it myself. Jesus, I need you. And you were humble about your faith. You got by yourself in your personal time. You're like, Lord, I don't even know how to pray, but I love you. Help me, be with me. And what did he do? He was there for you. He was there for you in those moments. And then you got to the point where now you've seen God do so many big things that if it didn't look big and feel big, that that meant he wasn't with you. But no, he's with you today. He's with you and his quiet voice is speaking to you today, speaking life to you, speaking hope to you. He's speaking a future to you. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.